Good afternoon. Helps if I unmute the microphone. Hope you're having a great day. It's that time again, but this time it's Westminster Wednesday. It's great to be able to pause every Wednesday and just spend a few moments having a look at the Westminster Confession of Faith. If it's your first time checking in with one of these, or if you're catching up with the video, well, we like to open up the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we just started walking our way through it, and we're coming to the end of the first chapter. First chapter is all about the Word of God and the foundation of our faith. And so it's very helpful to be able to make sure that we understand what we believe about the Word of God. And today we're going to be turning to the last section, which is all about what we call the finality of the Scriptures. But before we do that, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your word, which is rich and which provides us with endless blessings. We pray that you would continue to feed us week in and week out as we dig into your word and as we look at your words summarized in the Westminster Confession of Faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, over the, the last number of weeks, we've spent quite a bit of time looking at the Word of God and all of the different what we call attributes of the Word. And we've talked about the authority and the clarity and a bunch of different things. And, and we've seen that there's quite a lot of different layers to what we believe about the Word of God. Well, this, this last section, which is really is three sections in the chapter, this last chunk are all kind of interrelated together. And it's all about where do we find the final authority? Where, where is the final stop point? Which we turn to in matters of controversy and when there's disagreement. What does that look like? How do we do that? And, and so it's very important. It's probably one of the most important parts of the attributes of the Word of God is understanding, understanding the, the fact that the Word of God is the final place that we look to. So, let's have a look. There's, there's four sections I want us to look at today. I've, I've, it's three points in the Westminster Confession of Faith, but I've, I've broken it up into, into four sections to hopefully make it a little bit easier for us to process through. So, the first part here says, The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of the God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal unto them. <clears throat> all right. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and the New Testament's written in Greek. Why does that matter? Well, we've talked previously about what we call infallibility, about inerrancy, about inspiration. But the question that sort of pops up when we start talking about those things is, what, what type of Bible is inspired? What type of Bible is infallible? What type of Bible is inerrant? Is every different Bible? Is the Jerusalem translation? Is the King James translation? Is the ESV translation? Etc. Etc. What about the Chinese translation? What about the Korean translation? What about the Latin Vulgate? 
what where where is where do all these different translations play in part and here's where we here's where we note an extremely important distinction that the Westminster Confession of Faith notes and that is that the authority the final authority the inerrancy the infallibility and the inspiration are not in all the translations but they are in the original manuscripts of the Hebrew and Greek Bible. Now, this is a really important distinction to make. And the reason it's important is because if if your English Bible is the place of final authority, that means the authority does not lie with God, but it lies with the men and women who translate it. So you can see the problem of that. This is one of the arguments which shows that the most important thing we can do is go back to the Greek and Hebrew because because if your translation is the ultimate authority and the only right authority then effectively what you've done is place the translators above God in the same way that what the Catholic Church did was to say that the Bible gets its authority not from itself, but from the church. You see, the Catholic's understanding of Scripture is that the reason we can trust the Bible, the reason we can know that it's true, is because the church tells you so. So the church is the final authority. Whereas what we recognize is that what we call the original manuscripts is where the final authority is. Now, Obviously, someone's going to argue that we don't have the original manuscripts anymore any longer. I agree. But that's not a problem. You see, what we know, what we know is that what Paul wrote was inspired. Just to pick one author. What Paul wrote was inspired and what Isaiah prophesied was inspired. What Isaiah prophesied and Paul wrote was infallible, inerrant, and inspired. And God, as the West, that way, as the Westminster Divines point out, God immediately inspired and by his singular care and providence kept it pure. In other words, it was delivered, the original manuscript was delivered, and then God by his care and providence has kept it pure. Now, how do we have a pure, how do we have a pure form of the original manuscripts today? Well, it's not by appealing to one translation. So it's it's not by appealing to the ESV or to the King James Version or to the Message or to the Vulgate. No, it's by doing what we call textual criticism. Now, what textual criticism does is it, it, it it's, it's a huge science. Let me try and give it to you in a nutshell. We take all of the manuscripts of the old, of the, let's use the New Testament. We take all the manuscripts of the New Testament and we lay them all out before them and we compare them all. And if, and, and there's like thousands of them, three to 4,000 manuscripts. And so we find all the manuscripts on, let's say, John 3 verse 16. And when we lie them all next to each other, we find the overwhelming vast majority of them say exactly the same thing. And so we can look at that and say, well, clearly that's what was originally written. And and so using 
textual criticism, the science of textual criticism, we can compare the original manuscripts and work out what Paul or John or whoever originally wrote. And, and there's a whole field of science in this, and using geography and all sorts of different things, studying architecture. Also, it's amazing, all the different things that they use to confirm what we have written before us. Now, this highlights something absolutely fundamental. Now, I might be a fraction bias in this. I teach Greek. But it is absolutely imperative that our ministers, our pastors, know Hebrew and Greek. Because the final authority is not in your English translation. Now, it it is, a clarification point here, it is as long as the English text is a faithful and true representation of what the Greek and Hebrew says. But if all you've got is English translations and someone else comes along with the Message Bible and you've got the New King James Version Bible and they say, oh yes, but my Bible says this. How do you decide between the two? Well, what what you can do is go to your minister and say, what does it say in the Greek? Someone said this and this to me, and he he needs to be able to open it up and say, well, in the Greek text, it says, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and it means this, and that's why it's translated that way in these Bibles, and this is how I would translate it. So it's absolutely vital that we have men equipped with the Word of God, with the tools necessary, because think about it this way. If, If you went to your doctor, and there was something wrong with you. Let's just say you've got something wrong with your body. You're not sure what's wrong. And you said to him, I'm, I'm sick. I'm not doing great. Just really unwell. There's pain here. And he says, don't worry. The pharmacist told me, no, the pharmacist told me what medicine will fix you. How confident are you feeling? You're probably not very feeling very confident, are you? No, well, neither would I be. But how much more confident when he says, ah, I've researched into this before. I did a whole bunch of research. I looked through all the details. I looked at the ins and outs of all the different conditions and the side effects. And and I looked at all the different drugs that are available. And and this one here will actually really help you. There are some side effects. Here they are, but, but it will help you. You're feeling much more certain, aren't you? Because he's gone back to the original source and brought forth information from it. And so we need men who can stand in our pulpits and say, I've dug into the information. Here it is for you. This is what God's word says. But there is a roll-on effect of this. The, the Westminster divines that recognize that not everyone can understand Greek and Hebrew. In fact, a very small minority can. So they say, because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God, who have right unto and interest in the scriptures, and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, Therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation into which they come. That the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner. And through patience and comfort of the scriptures, may have hope. The point's very straightforward, isn't it? From the divines. They recognize, they say that the, the authority is in the Hebrew and Greek, but not everyone can read it. And they've already previously said that the word of God is what you need, that the word of God is what brings about salvation and is the only rule of faith and life. Therefore, people need to be able to read it. 
And so it's important for us to translate into the vulgar tongue. Now, vulgar tongue means common speech. It doesn't mean translate once into a language and never translate again, as has happened in some contexts, where they're still using the same translation for the last three, four hundred years. So King James Version is an example of this. Now, I'm not against the King James Bible. It has some beautiful translation with it. But it's not necessarily in the vulgar tongue anymore, is it? And there are some things which the word has changed so drastically in English that it means something completely different. And so we, we need to constantly be looking and considering what the Greek and Hebrew means and how to best express that in English. Now, in some contexts, that's going to look very different. In some contexts, that's going to take a really long time. But whether overseas or locally, we need to be looking to have Bibles that our people can understand. This is vitally important, and it's another reason to emphasize our people knowing the original languages, our men in the churches knowing the original languages, the leaders of our churches. But notice very quickly, because we're almost out of time, how do we, how do we understand the Bible? One, one very important point. The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of the Scripture, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. So, if the Word of God is the final authority, or let me say that again, since the Word of God is the final authority, since there's no other place we turn than the Bible, since the original manuscripts are infallible and inspired, if you find a passage and you don't know how to understand it, where do you turn? You turn to the Word of God, don't you? So if you read a passage in one of the epistles that you sort of think to yourself, oh, that reads a bit funny, I'm not quite sure if I understand that, you turn to other passages to understand it. And so the Westminster Divines will carry on to say, to summarize everything, to summarize the entirety of chapter 1, they state the Supreme Judge by all controversies of religion, are to be determined, and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scripture. So, when push comes to shove, when we go to General Assembly in two weeks, if you don't know what General Assembly is, it's like the, the biggest meeting for our denomination. So when we go to, to General Assembly and all the elders and ministers of the churches turn up and we sit down to discuss, at the end of the day, the only place we can turn is the Word of God. When your local elders meet and they're discussing a, a difficult issue, the ultimate authority is not as the divines comment here, councils or decrees or opinions or doctrines or individual private spirits, but the word of God. There's no other place we can turn. No one can tell you to do anything if the word of God does not command it. The word of God is the final authority for matters of the church. So anytime there's a disagreement in the church, the place we turn to is the scriptures, not to the experts, not to the commentators, not to Calvin, 
but to the Word of God. And this is a real challenge for us because it means we need to know it, don't we? It means we need to grow in our understanding of it. And it means we need to practice it in our lives. So let's, let's promote faithfulness to the Scriptures in our churches. As, as the, if you're in a grace church, as your elder goes off to general assembly, encourage him, encourage him to faithfulness with the word of God, to placing the word as the ultimate authority. And when you're in church, listen for the centrality of the scriptures, because it's only by the Holy Spirit speaking through the word of God that we find any solid ground. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is rich, which is solid. We pray that you'd help us. Help us to rest upon the solid rock of your word, not to turn anywhere else. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks so much for tuning in with me again. It's been great to open up the Confession of Faith. Next time, next week, we'll be considering the Trinity, which should be very interesting. So I look forward to seeing you for that. Otherwise, I will see you tomorrow for another daily devotion. Have a most blessed evening.